I want to talk about our opponent this afternoon. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. And they know it, too. But I want to tell you something that they don't know. They don't know your heart. I do. I've seen it. You have shown it to me. You have shown this coaching staff, your teammates. You have shown yourselves just exactly who you are in here. When you take that field today, you've got to lay that heart on the line, man. From the soles of your feet, with every ounce of blood you've got in your body, lay it on the line until the final whistle blows. And if you do that, If you do that, we cannot lose. We may be behind on the scoreboard at the end of the game, but if you play like that, we cannot be defeated. And we came here today to remember. Six young men and 69 others who will not be on the field with you today. They will be watching. That they'll be gritting their teeth with every snap of that football. You understand me? How you play today, from this moment on, is how you will be remembered. This is your opportunity to rise from these ashes and grab glory. Have y'all seen that movie before? So you know the story where the football team was on a plane and, and most of them died. And uh, that was a great speech, a great motivational speech. Um, that's not really the coach. That was uh, Matthew McConaughey, just so you know. That's not really him. But um, just call me coach. That's the name of the sermon today. My name is Joe Davis. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Life Sarasota. And we're talking, we're continuing our series called Hashtag Grace Life. We've been looking at the book of Philippians. We have just maybe two more after this, which is pretty amazing. We've been trying to figure out and, and explain to you a way to cast a vision for how we're supposed to have our relationships together as a church. And this week we're talking about exhortation, coaching. Just so you guys know a little bit about me, uh, coaching has been a huge part of my life. Um, I coached high school football for about 15 years, and I coached high school basketball off and on for about 20. It's been a huge part of my life. As a matter of fact, I cut my teeth in learning how to minister specifically to young people through coaching. I've coached guys. I've coached girls. I've coached JV in middle school. I've coached varsity. I've coached it in state championship level. I've coached it uh, bottom of the cellar type teams. <laughs> I've done it all. And uh, coaching has been an important part of my life. I've learned so much about myself by being coached and coaching. Uh, because you know, something about a coach, a coach can really inspire 
a team more than anyone else. And the reason a coach is effective and the reason that coach is the next closest word to dad that we have in the English language and the reason a coach can have an impact on a team is because, and my wife can tell you this as a coach's wife, he's with them every minute of the season. He's gone a lot from his family and he's with his teammates. He's with his players. He's with his coaching staff. And he's there through the successes. He's there through the failures. He's there when they finally first start to learn how to play the game and, and, and a skill he's been trying to teach them for months. It finally clicks. He's there when they're having a tough go about it and finally the team comes together and they start playing like a team and they start winning. He's there. He's invested. He feels their pain and defeat. He feels the thrill of victory when they win. He's there, and because he's there, he's right alongside of them. He has an ability to inspire them like other people can't. With that in mind, I want to talk about a, a, a pregame speech that Paul gives to the Philippians. We're going to read it in Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 9. He says, Therefore, my, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, you are my joy and my crown. Wow. He calls this church his joy, his crown. He says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Apparently there had been some sort of conflict and he wanted them to put it behind them. I, yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. In other words, we have this team who's been together. I want you to help them as they help me. We work side by side. We're there every day. As, the rest of the, as well as the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice and let your reasonableness, in other words, let your, the way your community is, let it be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see a lot of the same elements in that that you saw in Matthew McConaughey's speech in that movie, We Are Marshall. So let me give you some historical applications of this passage, okay? Uh, did I go the wrong way? No, there we go. Historical applications of this passage, okay? Here's a great example in this about exhortation and coaching. And remember, throughout his letters, Paul writes step-by-step -step instructions for believers to mature, for churches to go the next level. He doesn't just say, hey, listen, I want you to be a good church. Good luck with that. I'm going to go start another one. He spends time, he travels around, he visits with them, he's side by side with them, and he says, look, here's the next step. Okay, I see you have a problem here. I want you to fix that. You fixed that problem. That was an amazing job. You are an example to the rest of the churches. I'm going to tell them about what you did. And then he says, now listen, here's something I want you to teach. Here's how the gospel works. Here's how you interact with people who are Jewish. Here's how you interact with people who are pagan. Here's how you should interact with people who are Christians. And he goes through step by step. And notice the tone that Philippians is written in. It's a result 
of the history of Paul being close beside them. Now think about this. Philippians chapter 3 was a harsh chapter. First, he starts off by calling people dogs. Beware of dogs, evildoers, who want to mutilate the flesh. Then he rips on some other people. He rips on some other Christians. He says, look, you guys have got to stop fighting. And it's kind of a harsh chapter, right? So we got that part over with. That's kind of like wind sprints at the end of practice. You know, it's really hard. Then he says, okay, we're done with the wind sprints. Now let me tell you what I want you to do next. And he goes into this thing. He says, think about what's pure and holy and just. And if you are anxious, pray about it. You guys work together. We're coming along together. And listen, when we get there, the peace of God that passes all understanding is going to consume our hearts and minds. So his exhortation included a few things. There's trust in verse 1. He talks about the fact that we've been together for a long time. A key for exhortation or coaching is a relationship of trust. Otherwise, if there's no trust, all you're doing is criticizing and judging. At least that's the way it will be received. This comes from knowing the person. It enables you to be creative since you know what motivates them and what encourages them. That's an important thing, isn't it? Being able to know about a person, there has to be trust there and to understand who they are. You have to be able to show that you are invested in their success, not just yours. So that's the first ingredient of good exhortation or good coaching is trust. Another ingredient that, he, that we see exampled by Paul here are the specifics. Otherwise, you can't give direction and measure success. Because if you don't give specifics, the goal can be overwhelming. Okay, Joe, here's what I want you to do. Go start a church. Talk to you later. I couldn't have done that. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. The goal can be overwhelming if it's not defined. Coaching and exhortation would turn into discouragement if there, any, if there aren't any specifics. Also, exhortation that is not grounded in specifics is pointless. Like, for example, let me just explain this. You are not going to go to someone who can't draw and tell them to create a new church logo. You can do it! No, they can't. Be like, Pastor Joe, you can dunk a ball. No, I can't. I can dunk a donut. But I can't dunk a basketball. You have to be able to understand the specifics that apply to the person. But there's another ingredient in exhortation and coaching that is crucial. It's foundation. Otherwise, it's pointless. Blather. See, truth is the foundation. And what Paul says in verses 4 and 5, he says, listen, our foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are transformed and glorified and he's created us for good works that he prepares beforehand that we trip over Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and we have to understand that perspective because see what happens a lot of times is people like if I could be reincarnated as anything besides an NFL kicker because they got it good man if they're if they make them all right so I would want to come back as a highly paid motivational speaker because we could go in there 
and give a speech. We got our jokes. We got our illustrations. And we can inspire somebody with words. Man, he was great. And then I'm on a plane and I'm out of there. And I don't got to worry about whether or not. I just know I came in. You laughed. You smiled. You had a great time. Some of you cried. You paid me a couple hundred thousand dollars. That's the kind I'm talking about, not the small ones. That's the one I want to be. And then I'm out of there. But that's not a foundation. You know what else you have to have for good coaching? You have to have results explained. Look, if you do this, this is what we hope to see happen. See, if you don't give somebody the end goal, then what is the point? End results and goals expressed are important. Otherwise, it lacks the motivation. See, if I don't explain, if I'm coaching, if I'm coaching a player and I don't explain the goal is to get to this point on the court or to this point on the field with the ball, with these guys in front of you so that we can have this happen and we can score. If I don't explain the purpose, then there's not going to be an understanding of the direction and people aren't going to be motivated to do what they're supposed to do unless they know how it's supposed to end. And Paul gives those in verse 7. He says, and if you do all these, the peace of God that passes all understanding will be with you. And then the last thing that's very important for exhortation and coaching is instruction. See, when I coached, I couldn't ask a player to do something before I taught them how to do it. Here's what we do a lot of times. We just, we see people and we want them to change their behavior. We want them to change their direction. We want to change their habits. And so what we do is we sell them, you got to do this. And if you do this, this is what will happen. Now I'm going to check back with you in 30 days. That's not helpful. There's got to be a step. Here's, the fir- here's, here's what you need to do. Here's where I want you to go. And here's what you do today to start the process. These are the things that Paul gave us an example of in his speech to the Philippians. There was trust. There were specifics. There was a foundation. There were results. And there was instructions. Now, let's look at the theological side of this. Now, listen, I spent tens of thousands of dollars learning how to do this, and I don't do it very often, so I want you to just pay attention to this, okay? This is a Greek word study. Faith produces exhortation. Faith, which is what? Faith is a gift, and if you've been given the gift of faith, it will produce coaching in your life. So let's look at the word for exhortation in this passage, parakaleo. And I kind of did the transliteration there for you, parakaleo. There are two words that make this up. The first one is para. It means close beside. We get the word parallel from it. It means close beside, right next to. So the word exhortation has, in part of its meaning, close proximity, right next to, not from far away. You cannot exhort somebody that you've never met, that you know anything about, and be able to give them all the things we just talked about. Trust, specifics, foundation, results, instruction. Para, close beside, is the first word. The second word is kaleo. It means to call. So literally, what exhortation means, what coaching means, is to call from close beside. See, you know what that means? You don't have to yell because you're next to somebody. It literally means to make a personal call from close up. Literally, to be called to another side to aid. 
which kind of denotes motivation, doesn't it? And this is what exhortation is. This is what Paul did in Philippians chapter 4. So let me tell you one of the miracles about church. And I don't mean church as the institution, but church as the people of God that he has given the gift of faith to. One of the miracles is how God creates this affection and love and loyalty among brothers and sisters in Jesus. And some of them are here today at my invitation. I'll share with a little bit later. So much so that our most important, committed, encouraging relationships are born out of a common faith, which is what? You see that? The faith which is a gift, is the catalyst for some of our most important, encouraging, substantial relationships. And it's miraculous. I don't love you guys because you're good people. Some of you maybe, but most of you know. I love you because we've been given this common gift of faith. So you can't just exhort or coach someone to do something specific without having them understand that you're on their side. And I'm going to share this with you theologically. I believe that there are no patterns of you being an exhorter or you being a coach in your life to others. And listen, don't, I don't want you to panic, but I want you to listen. If there's no examples of you being a coach, you may not have spiritual life. You may not have been given the gift of faith. I'm not saying that you have to be a coach or an exhorter to earn salvation. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is if you have been given the gift of faith, one of the natural results is you are a coach. To some degree, to someone, somehow. Because I believe God never does a bad job of giving the gift of faith. I think it's always really good. So let's look at the devotional part of this, shall we? What about me? What am I supposed to do and why and how do I do it? What does exhortation or coaching look like? There are a couple of things that I wrote down. I just, they came to my head as I was writing this. And the first thing is, you understand, exhortation and coaching is different from accountability. We've talked about accountability a few weeks ago. And accountability is important. And you have to earn the right to hold someone accountable. And you better be allowing other people to earn the right to hold you accountable. We get that. Accountability is important. Now, accountability and encouragement and exhortation and coaching can go hand in hand. They can work together, but they are kind of different. Exhortation and coaching is that missing link that takes people from knowledge to actually doing. It takes people from knowledge to action. That is where exhortation and coaching is so important in so many aspects of life, especially the church. And here's the part I like. Teaching aims for the mind, right? But exhortation and coaching is trained squarely on the heart. When the speech we saw, the video, he wasn't explaining, now when you get up to the line, you have to take three steps to the right and make sure your technique is right and you're low and you come around and when you go to catch the ball, look at it. He wasn't giving specifics, was he? That's instruction. He was coaching. He was going to the heart. Teaching aims for the mind. Exhortation and coaching looks to grab hold of the heart and the soul. I mean, the very nature of exhortation, 
Parakaleo is close beside parakaleo when you call. We must realize, guys, that without good relationships, there will be no coaching. And as a church, there will be no action. Like if all we do is come together on Sunday morning and let me teach you or Daryl teach you or, or Megan teach you or whoever's up here preaching one Sunday, if all we do is instruct you and we don't coach, there's nothing going to happen. And pretty soon we'll be down to about 30 people in here. We'll be done. We must realize that we have to have these intimate relationships so that we can coach one another. Have you ever noticed the farther away you are from a person, the more demonstrative you have to be to give them instruction, whether like they're across the field or across the parking lot. Now, if they're next to you at a red light, it's a little easier. <laughs> but you notice the farther away you are from someone, the more demonstrative you have to be with your speech, with your hand signals, with your voice, the louder you have to yell. See, James explained this when he wrote the book of James. He says, where are all these fighting and wars coming from among you? He says, you're fighting and warring because you're seeking your own lusts and desires. In other words, you're not close to each other. You're just looking to fulfill yourself. It was because they were looking out for their own interests and had no time to come close beside others to look out for theirs. See, guys, coaches will take the time to be invested and come close beside you. And with that in mind, Grace Life has an amazing story when it comes to coaches. There are people that some of you, you don't even know that have exhorted us and coached us as a congregation from close beside before we even knew we were going to be a church. And I have found times in my life where ministry and my walk with Jesus is flourishing. It is because I'm not walking alone and someone has taken the time out of their busy schedule to make time for me, to be with me, to help me grow, to help me through my struggles, to help me through my times that I'm hurting, help me when I'm in pain, help me when I've lost my way, help me when I feel like I've lost my calling. They come para close beside and call out to me, Joe. And it's because of these exhorters or coaches that God has put in our life that we have a church. I'm just going to give a couple examples of some names of some friends. Some of them are here. Some of them are not. First one is a friend of mine named uh, Doug Colkett. And after uh, our daughter died, Doug took me aside and exhorted me to think about doing ministry differently in a way that fit my skill set and temperament, which led to starting a non-for-profit organization called Mobile Preacher and then the Nightlife Center, and then a unique role at Church of the Palms, preaching at the garden in a place where I didn't go to any meetings, which was awesome. <laughs> and then it led to this very unusual church that meets in a comedy club with a bar right around the corner <laughs> called Grace Life. See, what Doug did is he exhorted me or coached me by explaining to me in detail, in his opinion, how I could be more effective if I had the courage to think outside the box like an entrepreneur instead of just a pastor. Then there's another guy that you guys know. He's not here today. He's actually helping another church preaching at Gulfgate. His name is Daryl Davis, our associate pastor. He's our pastoral coach. Daryl has tons of theological insight and very good practical ministry instincts that are so crucial to the formation of Grace Life. And he agreed to come out of retirement. Guys, he's 88 years old. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 
No, he's not. <laughs> he looks good for 88, right? <laughs> he came out of retirement. As a matter of fact, we were just talking, uh, Brian and I were meeting with uh, Daryl this week on Friday, and Daryl said, I was just starting to settle into being comfortable. And then Joe says, come help me start a church. And he's been a great asset to me and our team to start this thing from scratch. His presence in my life, close beside me, gives me such confidence to know that what I'm teaching you is the right stuff. I give him all my sermon outlines. Daryl, I got this right. Am I messing up the theology at all? Am I, am I handling the scripture correctly? And he's really good in a very subtle way of saying, Joe, I think that what we're doing here is getting off our vision of being mobile, organic, biblical, and generous. He's a great coach. There's another guy in our church, uh, Chuck, right there, Chuck Madden. Chuck is really uh, important in the recovery community and has several good insights and incredible influence in people that are either recovering or families that are trying to recover. And one of the things we're hoping that Grace Life will become is a place where people who are in recovery can have a place where they can be coached. And what Chuck does is he develops relationships and coaches people in personal, intimate, side-by-side ways in an area that is not easy. For years, I had a passion for trying to help people in this area, but I had no idea what I was doing. And Chuck even said, Joe, you have no idea what you're doing. He said that to me, I remember. But you know what Chuck does? Chuck is able to speak right to the fears that someone has and say, hey, I know that fear. Here's how you overcome it. He coaches them side by side. And he's not yelling at them. Get over your addiction! That's not what he does. And then there's another guy. Uh, he's here with his wife, Marlene, Brian Yost. Um, when Laura and I first returned to Sarasota, we really couldn't find a church that would embrace us, honestly. And it was kind of painful. And Brian at South Shore stepped up and he helped Laura and I begin to heal and reconnect to Sarasota and a church body. And we still have great relationships with so many people at South Shore. And Brian was the pastor there at the time. And what else Brian did was he affirmed our calling in ministry and our gifts for ministry. And he gave us unbelievable opportunities. You know what he does now is he coaches men throughout Sarasota and Manatee based upon building relationships and community. And you know what he's turned into? Brian now has this ministry called City Commit. He's like a bishop in town. I call him the bishop. He's the bishop. All the pastors answer to him. So not really, but, but, but we go to him and he's a friend. I can tell you this, nightlife never would have started without Brian's coaching alongside of me and help and encouragement. And I'll tell you in May... I was on the fence about this whole, I didn't even know it was going to be called Grace Life. I just thought, you know, church, this church thing that I'm thinking about doing. I don't know if I want to do it. And, and Brian says, well, Joe, you, you've already been doing it for seven years. What's your problem? I said, what do you mean? And he explained how I'd already been planning a church. And so he's the one that pushed me over the fence. So it's your fault, Brian, <laughs> that we're here. So. All these people exhorted me and coached me, us, and they are close beside us. I trust them. They speak. When they talk to me, they speak right to my soul. They grab my heart. They calm my fears and promise to be there to help if I need it. 
Guys, they literally have reached in and grabbed my soul and spurred me on with courage and confidence to do what seems to be too big, too risky, too scary. But this exhortation and coaching only happened because they were truly interested in our success. I will tell you again, if you find you never really exhort or coach others, it's a good chance you don't have the love of the brethren in you and therefore might not even know Jesus. So what is the expectation of how much we should be coaching, exhorting? How much of this should occur in our church? Well, here, Hebrews tells us, but exhort, what that means, come close beside and call and courage, in case you forgot, right? One another on Thursdays. <laughs> no. Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock when we gather, 10.30 worship. Now, you should be here during those times. I'm telling you right now, you ought to be here. But, but every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. See, the whole idea of every day, it's almost, it's almost like he kind of repeats himself. Exhort, close beside, every day. Well, you can't be with someone every day unless you're close beside anyway, right? So exhort every day, as long as today is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Every day requires us to be together. God, I'm serious about this church. This is so important. Grace life has got to be a community that is bursting at the seams with instances of coaching and exhortation at every level. There's got to be coaching and motivation and encouragement found in deep, intimate, vulnerable relationships. Because if we don't have examples of coaching going on, then we might as well not even be here. Because this is what makes the church different. Para kaleo, calling out from close beside. And that's why I hope we can each say to our brothers and sisters who are hurting, you can call me coach. Dad, we're just... Uh, we're thankful for the coaches you put in our life. There's so many of them that have made a difference. Sometimes they don't even recognize the difference they make. God, help us to have a passion for becoming what we need to be to be a coach for others. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.